Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Lisa Minkin. I'm a general pediatrician and I'm also the chair of the JOMA Preventative Health Committee. And I'm here today, I'm actually very excited to be here today with Barry Mitman. Mitman. Hi. Hi. I've been working on your name. <laughs> Just think of it as a condensed version of Mitzvah Man. Oh, that's so cute. I, love I mean, that's what I pretend to do. Or Juice Man oh. in Hebrew. <laughs> love it. Anyway, thank you so much for doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. Barry is a content creator whose goal is to empower women and normalize struggle. She has a master's in education and has worked in outreach for a number of years. She uses her Instagram platform, Barryanna. Is that your middle name, Anna? No, believe it or not, my, my legal name is actually Barry. And Barryanna came about because it was just a nickname a friend of mine gave me in seminary. My middle name's Joy. Aww. I'm going to spell it for people who want to find you on Instagram, at B-A-R-A-N-N-A. And you have a blog, Barianna spelled the same way, dot com. And you have a podcast, Woman of Valor, which is excellent. You've listened to it. Thank you. And on that, on that podcast, and also on your other platforms, you do a lot of really mental health advocacy, which anybody who listens to me knows that's like my passion. So it's really, really important. We cannot have too many of these conversations. And, and the idea of normalizing it, taking the stigma out of it, is so important. Yes. Because I'm telling you, as a pediatrician, this is what I do all day long. I try to talk about mental health and physical health like there's, there's no difference in terms of importance. I mean, if anything, maybe your mental health is, is more important, but it's definitely not less important. And it does intertwine deeply with your physical health. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I would love to start with your story. Okay. Um, as uh, Elisa said, my name is Barry Mitzman. I run the page Barryana and Woman of Valor podcast. I started my social media page um, merely as a way to get some money from my uh, employers for modest clothing. I was like, I'll do something on social media if you give me money. And they said, great. And I started doing that while I was expecting my daughter. And glossed over a whole bunch of my struggles um, during that time because who wants to see that or so I thought who wants to know that somebody's struggling they just want to see the pretty stuff so I shared throughout my pregnancy after after I had my daughter I I tried to keep up thinking that yeah you could just like pop out a baby and then just go on with your life and show that everything's pretty and go back to work and it was very challenging and then I got to a point where I realized that my apparent perfection was was exhausting to try to continue. And one day I just shared, you know, this may look like I have it all together, but I got dressed a half an hour ago and it's the first time I got dressed in a week and I'm having a really hard time and I just can't keep up uh, the way that I have. And the response was, 
um, performing. I got a lot of women thanking me for letting them in on the information that I wasn't this perfect mom because I definitely portrayed myself that way. Coordinating outfits with my newborn daughter, we're out at places, we're doing things, and like I didn't share any of my peripartum depression journey. <laughs> um, that I wasn't, I suffered greatly from peripartum depression starting in my third trimester, early mm. third trimester. I didn't know that that was a thing. I didn't mm-hmm. know that you can start experiencing depression before the child's born. I have a, a family history of depression. And I told my husband, you know, once, once the baby's out, if I start acting, you know, I, I explained to him the different signs. If, if, if I start behaving in this way, you take me, you grab me and you drag me, um, to go get medication for it. Um, because I've been on medication before for my anxiety and my depression. Um, even before I got married, I spoke to my husband about my mental health struggles but we didn't know what was going to hit us or how greatly, you know, my anxiety or depression or, you know, chronic illness, my Lyme diagnosis happened about a month after I got married. Um, and that was a long journey. And then I had an emergency surgery that January, um, for a telescoped small intestine, which apparently I heard is very common in, in children, but it was intussusception. I had an intussusception at 23 years old. 23. That is unusual. Yes. Highly unusual. They were like, oh, you know, this is common in three-year-olds. Right. I guess they just overlooked it. They didn't, they, nobody, nobody checked for it. They thought that maybe I had H. pylori. Um, I was on like different uh, medications as a kid, but it was never checked out. So I found out about that when I was actually 23 years old. I, I, I got part of my small intestine removed due to an intussusception. Um, and that was all before I even started sharing things on social media, that that chronic illness um, journey. And that's before I had a child. I was told it was not safe for me to try to conceive during my Lyme and during my Lyme treatment. Um, and I, I didn't share any of that because I'm like, who cares? Who wants to know? Who wants to know that I've struggled with these things? It's It's... I feel like I'm just burdening people. Why, why would I do anything like that? But once I opened up that I was just struggling, mm-hmm. not what, not that there was a, a mental health diagnosis, none of that. It was just that I was struggling and it validated so many women. And I was consulting with my husband, should I share this? Should I share that? And not because he would try to censor me. My husband is such a facilitator for my passions and me being supportive of his um, entrepreneurship. He's a web developer and a digital marketer. And he had a hard time dating because people didn't like that. He didn't have like the regular job of like lawyer, Mm -hmm. uh, professional, whatever it is. So because of that, um, it worked out in my favor because then my husband was able to facilitate a podcast for me, a website, help me figure out my branding, all these things. Um, and anytime I would ask him, should I share about X? And his response always is, I think that will help a lot of people. Um, so his support is definitely what was the impetus for me to share um, about my peripartum depression, about um, people's hyper-focus on my weight during my um, Lyme uh, journey. Um, 
sharing about mental health struggles. Even in most recent times, I shared about um, speaking to your um, local Orthodox rabbi about um, accommodating Shabbos to your mental health needs. Mm -hmm. Um, We've opened up a lot of conversations um, and I'm not a mental health professional, but I joke with my friends that I'm a professional at having mental health uh, things. And I think it's also important to be yourself and not let it label you. And the, the comment I get most often is, you know, it's nice that someone that looks like you and has a family like you and, you know, has a job like yours um, is open about their struggle and, and has these struggles because it makes me feel a little bit more normal. And it makes me feel like I'm not some insert degrading, uh, self-degrading. Right, 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 right. Right. I mean, these problems are so, so common. And this idea of the image is more important than than what's actually happening to you. I want to go back a little bit when you said about the way you look, because I know the first thing I said to you today is you look amazing. And I remembered your comment about, you know, you hadn't been feeling well. And I remember to say, and how are you feeling? Yeah. <laughs> so I talk a little bit more about that. So I, starting from when I got sick, I got sick, I believe, during my engagement. And during that time, I started dropping weight uh, significantly. And people are like, what's your secret? I'm like, I don't know. I'm eating pizza and French fries and fried chicken fingers. Uh, most dinners, because I was in, I was full-time working and mm-hmm. in graduate school full-time um, while I was engaged and while I was dating and volunteering for three nonprofit organizations. So I kept myself wow. really busy. Wow. I was one of the super overachievers mm-hmm. and went to the gym four times a week. Like I was that person, very type A. Hi, nice to meet you. And it was, what's your secret? What's your secret? What's your secret? And then I just started like withering away and I started feeling more pain. I had to stop going to the gym as much because I didn't have as much energy. Mm-hmm. I, st- I started getting more nauseated. Um, and not eating as much. And I remember after my Lyme diagnosis, a few months in, I had a really good friend's wedding. And my husband was like, we have to go. We have to go. It was in Williamsburg and I was living in Muncie at that time. So it's an hour and a half drive. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't get out of bed. I'm in so much pain. I was on a very, very rigorous uh, treatment regimen. Like I can't, I can't do anything. I had to take off from work for somewhere between six and eight weeks. I was teaching at the time. And he's like, we, you really, you're going to feel bad that you missed this. And he was right. I'm like, okay. So I got dressed and I put on makeup and I finally felt like a mensch for the first time in like months. I got to the wedding and a few minutes into the schmork, somebody goes, Barry, like you're already married. You could stop losing weight now. Mm. And I was like, I'm, I'm sick. And they didn't know what to say. And it was something along the lines of, well, at least you look good. Something, something not not so uh intelligent empathic right yeah empathic that's a better word mm-hmm. and but again um, valuing how you look over how you feel and how you are yeah so i ended up leaving in the middle of the chuppah because i remembered how much pain i was in and the sadness overpowered my joy reminding me of all of the physical turmoil i was going through and i said like we have to go like in the middle of the chuppah i texted my husband i'm like we gotta go like I need to head home. I can't be here anymore. And with both chronic and mental illness, it's invisible. 
Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not like you're wearing, sometimes I do have to wear hand braces actually. Um, sometimes because I get, I get some pretty bad pain in my hands mm-hmm. um, every so often. But other than that, nobody knows unless you tell them. And even if you tell them, there's not, there's still a chance that they won't understand or be empathic. Um, and that's been my experience. Um, I've had some pretty bad um, interactions with people who just don't understand. And that's okay. And those are the people that I chose not to uh, converse with. Mm-hmm. Well, at least you look good um, was never a consolation. No. Ever. And I so appreciate the fact that you asked me how I was feeling. When I returned to work after my, after my you know, six-week pause, I walked in and I truly believe that the um, receptionist said it out of pure shock. The first thing that came out of her mouth was, oh, my God, you're so skinny. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hi, yes, it is great to be back. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. How was it while I was away? You know, like that was, it's, it's painful to think. And I ended up about a year afterwards, maybe a little less. I uh, wrote an article for a Jewish magazine. I submitted an article mm. about my experience um, with people placing my physical appearance above my physical health mm-hmm. um, and how it hurt me. And it was published and it did, you know, very well. And I'm happy that, you know, uh, a from publication was willing to share something like that because I think all too often we, for, we, we place the appearance um, before the token what's inside. Right. And we're being objectified, right? I mean, it's the same problem that people have who are overweight. They're yes. being looked at for the shell that is their body and not looked in for the person they are. And by the way, this is a big topic for my podcast. I've done about five Ooh. on these related topics. I'm passionate about this. So I did uh, eating disorders. I have a personal experience of eating disorders. I have, you know, um, weight, all kinds of things related to this. And by the way, both postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression. So we have covered all of these topics, um, but it's really helpful to hear your story. And I would love to hear, um, so you've already talked a little bit about what people say, but I want to talk about advocacy for your physical and mental health from your doctor, your nurse practitioner, your, you know, whatever healthcare practitioner you see. Because, you know, I, I'm also here as a parent of a young adult with disabilities. And I feel like I've been on both sides of the doctor's desk. And I kind of promised myself when I got on the other side again, because I was home for a while, that I would be there, right? I would be there for my patients. I'd be there for my parents. And, and for this podcast, I'm also, you know, trying to be there for you know, young people like you who are trying to to get good health, right? Mental health, physical health. I mean, you mentioned, you know, how you look and having an invisible disorder. I'm wondering how that's been for you in terms of, of getting good care for yourself. That's a lot of questions. I don't think, um, I, don't think I was good at advocating for myself mm-hmm. um, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, even when I was younger, I probably contributed to the fact that doctors overlooked you know, what, what was happening with my body and that mm. I had an interception rather than, you know, all these other things. I didn't know how to advocate for myself, how to maybe express, you know, I was also one of those martyrs where it's like, it hurts, but like, it doesn't hurt that much. as bad, but like, right. I wasn't accurately 
the one to 10 scale was not a great indicator for me. You needed a Barry scale. Yeah. I needed yeah. a Barry scale um, right. desperately. And I think it was hard for me to, I think there was like a, like an authority complex I think that I had. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, like this person is in like, it's much more knowledgeable than me, mm -hmm. much more whatever. Um, they probably know more about my body than I do. And that hindered a lot of me asking questions, a lot of me asking for help or resources um, or things like that. There were things that were overlooked, but I don't know if I can necessarily blame the practitioners for that um, because it could have also been my omissions. Um, right. So I don't think it's a matter of blame. And I think this is a really important point of advocacy is, you know, your body best, a parent knows her child best. And the model today that we're supposed to be doing in the ideal world um, is a, a collaboration, right? And right. a collaborative approach. But you're right, there's a power differential. And I certainly felt it when I was on the other side of the desk. Yeah. So, so I definitely struggled with that. Mm. Um, but I mean, in Judaism, we have a similar type of uh, situation with rabbis. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we believe that, you know, the rabbi is more knowledgeable and he'll give us an answer to a question. But if we aren't asking the question in the way that we need to, then we won't get the answer that we need. We're, and we're that's not actually, that's really a good It's not the question that it is not the answer to the question that we actually have. Right. Like if you're asking and you're not being honest, like all you have to do is be honest. You don't have to know the answer. And by the way, it's the opposite. If you come in to the rabbi or to the doctor thinking you know the answer already and trying to get the answer you want, you're not going in the right direction. Right. So that's a really good example for people who, you know, to see what what a good way to advocate is. Is right. You know yourself. You can speak up for yourself, but you're collaborating. You don't. You didn't go to medical school, presuming you didn't. And by the way, even if you are a a parent or a, a patient who's a a physician, you're the patient on that situation, right? You're not objective. Yes. And doctors only have so much time. Mm. So you need to be able to give over um, your story uh, thoroughly and quickly. Um, so preparation is definitely something helpful. I mean, the difference between how I interact with physicians now, as opposed to how I did, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago is very different. I mean, as a child, I didn't open my mouth. No, you're well, a child, right. But at the same time, I had questions. Why am I feeling this way? Why am I having pain? You know, it feels like X, you know, I should, uh, but, but it was like, I, I don't talk to the doctor. My parents talk to the doctor. Like right. I'm here and they just poke, poke, poke. And they say, you know, up or down, you know, <laughs> like good right, or bad. Right. That's why, by the way, it's a separate topic, parents advocating for their children, which I'm hoping to do soon. No, I mean, I have someone, there's a program called Project Doc. Um, and I'm mentioning this for a very specific reason. There's a, there's a point to the story. I'll get there. Um, it stands for Delivery of Chronic Care. And it was started by two amazing women, Maggie Hoffman and Missy Miller. Missy Miller is actually a, I think, politician in the five towns now. And they're both parents of kids with very significant special needs. And they took their frustration from you know, some difficult interactions with, you know, doctors, nurses, whatever. And they turned it into an organization where they teach medical residents when they're young, impressionable. And the reason I'm telling this whole story is partly to pre-introduce Maggie, who I'm going to be interviewing soon, hopefully, um, but also because I recently was talking to a pediatrician, and she's been in practice for 10 years. And when I reached out to her for the first time, you know, getting to meet her, she said, hey, did you give a talk 13 years ago from Project Doc? 
that's how quickly she remembered, how deeply she remembered that conversation that she had that I gave, not as a doctor, but as a parent. Wow. So my point is that you also have the power to influence your physician, your nurse by telling your story, right? I mean, you may not have that moment when you're in the doctor's office and you'll have your very brief visit, um, but I'm hoping to share this talk with nurses and doctors and other healthcare practitioners so that they can understand. So what you're telling me now is going to have a bigger voice, I hope. I hope. Um, So what else can we talk about? I also want to talk about um, support groups and how, what role that has. Because I know for me, I used to call myself the support group queen with my daughter because she had multiple different potential diagnoses. We weren't sure. She never got a um, an official underlying diagnosis. And so I was in many support groups over the past 27 years, many. So I myself was not part of a support group mm-hmm. during my Lyme journey. I was newly married. Mm-hmm. Um, I just moved to Muncie. Uh, we were living in a small basement apartment. Mm-hmm. I was teaching, you know, and going to college and all of my friends in, in graduate school were like, Oh yeah. Like asking me about my Lyme. Like it was such an adventure for them, like a drama mm-hmm. of like, Oh, so what are you doing now? Or, Oh, yesterday, like last week or two weeks ago, when you were like keeling over to the side, like you actually need to get surgery for that. What? Like it was such a drama for them. Um, <laughs> But I was known as the young woman in Mm. graduate school that had Lyme disease. And I did have an opportunity during that time to provide support to someone else who was struggling with Lyme disease. There was Mm. a support group. um, I wish I remembered the name, but oh, my team. And what they do is they match up um, girls and young women Mm. with fellow girls and young women who struggle with some sort of chronic illness. And they received um, a message from uh, an unmarried woman who was probably around 1920 at the time, who was dating and was really struggling with um, Lyme. She's like, I don't want any other illness. I don't want anyone. I need someone with Lyme. And one of the friends of one of the women that run it's like, oh yeah, Barry Pittsman in my, in my class. Mm-hmm. Like, she, she has Lyme. Maybe, maybe I can connect them. And long story short, Baruch Hashem, she got um, engaged to an old family friend, um, which was amazing, uh, an, an incredible boy, and who's a, who's a nice young man now. I, I haven't followed up with, with their family, but it was really nice to be able to provide that support. I didn't have um, that much support. Also, there wasn't that much understanding of what I was going through. Like I said, it's an invisible uh, illness, somewhat invisible. You know, there's no casts, there's no whatever, but you can see like I'm a little green or like very pale and I'm tired and I'm slumped and I'm frail. And people would just think that I was, I don't know, one of those Zara models, you know, like just uncomfortable mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and tiny, you know, like, like a glorified hanger, which was really unpleasant for me. Um, I got many comments of, of misunderstanding and, and lack of empathy, um, trying to be helpful, you know, Baruch Hashem, you found out, I know someone who didn't get their diagnosis for 10 years and had a learning disability. So thank God you were able to figure it out at least like trying to give me a silver lining about my situation. Yeah, but these are, but these are people who don't have your, your right. particular illnesses. Right. Right. And but the there weren't many people that did that I, that I was able to. So you know. didn't really have a community. Cause see, for me, no. I found finding a community, like you became that community for someone else. Right. 
I mean, you're talking about Lyme disease. I'm just going to keep mentioning it. And I'm going to just point out, you're talking about what's called chronic Lyme. Yes. Correct. You're not talking about the classic. You got bitten by a tick and you had a little, you know, red rash and then you took your antibiotic and you were done. Right. So there are groups, there are support groups for people with chronic Lyme, which is a whole, by the way, separate topic of, you know, people who believe it even exists, people who believe that it isn't, people who agree with certain treatments, people who don't. Um, That's really a whole category um, of what happens when you have a disorder that is not fully accepted. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Um, I didn't really have that support, but I had friends who were able to support me in different ways, whether it was to come and visit me, you know, drive from Brooklyn where I'm originally from, um, to Muncie to visit, to take me out for a smoothie, you know, my husband, like at the drop of a hat, if I said, you know, oh, I actually would like to eat today and I would like this specific item, like would just drop everything, mm-hmm. drive and, and pick it up for me, which is a luxury that I didn't really have once we moved here. Um, once we moved to Nevada, um, they're getting there, they're catching up, you know, four and a half years later, they're, start, they're, they're waking up, but yeah, I never really had the support of people that really understood, right, which was right. tough. Definitely tough when it was like at its worst because I felt very alone. I would spend most days in my bed because I couldn't move. I'd have to have my husband lift me from the bed, bring me the, what, 20 feet in my tiny apartment to the bathroom. I was just, I had no energy. I was in pain constantly. Um, And it messed with my mental health as well. You know, being in pain, constantly not being able to go out, socialize, be active, do the things you enjoy, eat. I wasn't able to eat. Um, it was, it was really tough on my psyche as well. And I had to deal with that too. It's really hard. Did you, did you, so, so what, just to recap a little bit, friends that there were friends that got you and friends that didn't. So the friends that got you were helpful. And if you had a support group of people who really were living it, that would even be more helpful. Yes. Because I do recommend that for my patients, right? Find a support group of people who can help you. The only flip side that I'm going to say to support groups is that sometimes there will be people there who think they know the right thing, just like outside the support group, right? Who will think they know everything about that particular disorder because they're part of the support group and kind of go out of their lane. Yes. Right. And that can really be a problem. So I think everything has to be used to the degree that's appropriate. So support groups are very good for support. They're not good for medical advice. Right. And I'm just mentioning this. Naturally, I would probably um, veer towards being more of a helper Mm -hmm. in one of those support groups, which wouldn't have been good for me. Mm. Because then I would have probably pushed myself and then been, have people relying on me to support them. That's kind of my nature. I've been working on it. Mm-hmm. Um, for years now, so I know, but like there are, it, it's hard for me to be a part of a support group, um, because it's hard for you to accept help. It's, it's not, not to accept help, but also sometimes people just kind of gravitate towards opening up to me. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of hard. Like if I'm going, like I speak about mental illness on my page, I don't go into depth about what I am experiencing mm. or what I have experienced. I don't think that that's responsible. Um, and I, and I'm displaying it to a massive amount of people. So there's a huge risk there. So it has to be incredibly calculated and curated because even still, let's say I shared something a few weeks ago, um, in support of Amudim and I, I showed my hand braces Mm -hmm. on and I explained that I was tested 
for my nerve pain, I went, you know, to neurologists. I, I got tested. I just assumed it was one of my symptoms of Lyme. And my Lyme specialist tests me. He's like, this, it's not like your hand pain's not coming from that because it seems like it's currently dormant. So I don't know what that is for you. Mm-hmm. And then through more experiences, I realized that after a huge anxious episode for me, my hands start to feel a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. And um, I've spoken to to therapists who work in uh, the idea of somatic experience and they've, they've uh, validated this for me. Um, but I shared and I said, you know, like, this is something that I, this may look like it's part of my chronic illness, but this is part of my mental health struggle. And it was very curated. And I did that because some people, I, I tried to explain it as much, best as I could to be like, you know, this is something invisible. You may not always get it. You know, you may not even understand the concept of having a mental health struggle or maybe in denial of it yourself. I didn't say that out loud, but mm-hmm. kind of like spelling it out for people in the most um, clear way. And I got a comment of, you know, so what your hands hurt, like you have a beautiful family, your life is good. People are dying from COVID right now. I have a little bit of perspective. Um, And that didn't hit me hard because I clearly knew that this was just someone that isn't interested in understanding Mm -hmm. and is clearly in pain, losing people um, and doesn't understand the severity um, of different types of mental illness. And that was okay. But at the same time, I can't be so open on there. And yet, even when I do share as like PC as I can, I still get people's stories and people come to me and tell Mm -hmm. me their hardships and ask for advice. And I'm like, I'm not a mental health professional. And sometimes I'm not in a place where I'm like, I can't hold your burdens for you. Right. You need to get support. You need to be part of a support group. You need to be seeing a therapist. You need to whatever. I can't be that person for you, which is hard for me. um, But I probably would have done it if I was still single and I didn't have children and would run myself into the ground doing it. But I have more people in my life to consider at this point. Um, And and some people don't take that well because they see me as someone like uh, I've had people be like, oh, like I so relate to you. Can you become my mentor? And I'm like, I so wish I could. Right. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to do that. Um, but I hope you can find someone in your local community that can that can help you or, you know, people go into great detail about their struggles. And I'm just like, I, I can't be that person. Right, right, right. No, that's so called healthy boundaries. Right. <laughs> interesting balance. Yeah. No, yeah. no, it's, it's really, really hard. And sometimes you want to help somebody and then what you do is not right because you're not capable of it. Right. I was in a situation I actually asked to Shiloh and my Rob said it's like, um, if someone's drowning and you can't like swim properly, like, you can't be the one to rescue them. Right. Right. So it was, that was very helpful. I want to go back a little bit to something you said. You said something really important. You were talking about your hands hurting and you said it was actually from my emotions. And so it's a really important point that sometimes you may have physical problems, right. That may be, I don't want to say more physical than, than mental. You can have problems that are, you know, more purely mental. You can have ones that are both, Yes. You're talking about your emotions making you have pain. That's a classic example of both. Yes. So I'm wondering how that works for you when you go to the doctor. If you have any issues with them dismissing you ever or, um, you know, calling it all psychiatric or on the flip side, you know, working you up for something medically without realizing the emotional component. 
Well, I just, in, in my case of, of going to the neurologist, getting tested, trying to figure out um, treatment, I, f- I just figured it was a neurological issue. But I didn't even think that it would be something mental. It wasn't, it wasn't, I just assumed like, okay, this is part of my line. There's, there's some inflammation and my, I'm having some neuropathy and that's probably just a symptom mm-hmm. of my line. Um, and I was also very much in denial about a huge mental burden in my life. Mm-hmm. I was very much in denial. I was for quite a long time. And only this year did I process um, what that was and how much it was physically hurting me because of, of the emotional suppressing that I was mm. doing, you know, pain, terrible muscle spasms. Um, like I said, pain, pain, uh, nerve pain. Um, I, I had to go to like chiropractors. Like I was this little kid, everyone's like 70, like going to the chiropractor and there's this like teenager who needs to get reset every every week or so for like no apparent reason. And it was just holding in a lot of emotions and not allowing myself to feel them. I didn't give myself permission to feel my feelings um, and decided to justify them or negate them. Being like, that's not logical and there's nothing you can do about it. So just sit down and shush, which is what I did for a very long time and had to be undone through therapy. but once I got more mindful, um, and like sort of like reconnecting to my emotions and reconnecting to my body and reconnecting to like my gut, like my intuitions and things, I was mm-hmm. able to connect more. And then I was able to advocate for myself more because I had more knowledge. And but that, that's why it's that authority complex of like, they're not going to know if I don't tell them. Right. So at this point, I'll say um, I have a really great doctor here um, who's very thorough um, and does uh, take his time with his patients, uh, which is fantastic. Um, I do believe it's because he's a concierge doctor, so he has that. Well, there you go. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's a huge problem in medicine today, right? If you're not paying your doctor right for their time, they often, in order just to stay open, we're not talking about making a billion dollars just to stay open. They have to see a, a frequent, you know, a lot of patients per hour and there you go, you're waiting and you're not getting a long visit. And that's just unfortunately the way it is in many places. And so you're the health in Nevada is pretty bad. It is. It's pretty bad. And it's right. very hard to find um, a good general practitioner. I had a place, I had one appointment and then I wasn't even, they wouldn't even pick up the phone. I couldn't mm. schedule an appointment. It, I just couldn't get to them and I couldn't get to my billing. Like I, I couldn't access anything. I'm like, you know what? In my condition, I get, you know, frequent uh, sinusitis, which again, um, we do believe is tied to my emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, just that inflammation through the stress and overexertion. I do have high cortisol actually, which according to my endocrinologist, isn't strong enough to be, you know, a really big problem. I don't have any, you know, uh, conditions because of it, but I do have symptoms. Um, but there, there's nothing to do cause it's not like, it's not Addison's disease and it's not the other one that I can't remember. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not even focused on yeah, but, the, the medical details right now so much as, as what we're talking more, about. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm able to express myself more for them to be like, I went to the endocrinologist. I'm like, 
we did the testing, you know, it seems like I have very high cortisol. Is there anything to do for it medically? And in his medical perspective, there was not. So I had to try to figure out how to chill out per se, um, try to, try to bring that down, um, through lifestyle means and try to lifestyle. get rid of, mm-hmm. try to get rid of some of that stress. And a lot of that stress is mental. So, right. so I, I, but my takeaway from this, right, is that, you know, unless you're paying, you know, for a concierge where you really have a lot of time, you're likely to not have as much time and you're going to have to try to make the best of it to advocate for, you know, for yourself the best you can, but also not to expect that one visit to be your everything, that right. a lot of these issues are intertwined. It may involve seeing a therapist um, and, and it always, lifestyle is so, so important. And I mean, I wish that um, as a physician, I had more time. I try, um, but you can get that information outside your doctor's office, right. right? You can go to a nutritionist, you know, you can go to yoga, you can go to many, you know, different places to get what you need. I have them both, by the way. Good, good, <laughs> good. I walk, you know, for me, that's really important. Um, and I should sleep more, but I don't. But <laughs> so <laughs> diet, exercise, and sleep are like the pillars of health, Um you're not necessarily going to get that from your doctor's office, but you can still go to people who help you with those, which leads me to the topic of mainstream versus, you know, I don't want to say alternative per se, because that's a whole huge topic that someday I will tackle, but not today. Um, How do you go about getting that balance, putting aside getting a concierge? Because I I know pretty much nobody who has a concierge physician other than you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, in Nevada, you don't have much of a choice if you Mm. need you know, if you need an appointment more than once a year. Oh, wow. It's not, it's not great here. It's not oh, wow. great to find a good physician to find. It's just, it's just rough. Mm. Uh, it's rough here. Um, and hopefully it'll get better. Um, but, but there's a med school here and I'm hoping that people who go to the med school, Turo has their medical school here. Mm. I'm hoping that some of them stay and do their residencies here and just stick around and become doctors, uh, in our community. Um, because it's needed. We, right. we have pretty good pediatricians, but, you know, adult uh, general practitioners are they're hard to come by. Um, I've done a mix of different types of approaches mm-hmm. um, just because the goal is to get better. Exactly. Is, is not to, to pick the right thing. And I think also um, in regard to being someone who is a person of faith, having, you know, the idea that you're also doing your part. Mm-hmm. And that Hashem should help you. Um, one of my um, practitioners is um, one one of the people that I've that I've seen for my Lyme. Um, does a mix of of different things, but the most important is the fact that he says, you know, together with Hashem, we'll be able to, you know, with Hashem's help, we'll be able to, you know, get you better. Right. And that's one of like the most important things. I, mm-hmm. I love that. And it's, it's rather frightening that um, this, uh, this Lyme specialist knew that I had so much um, emotional turmoil before I figured it out and was telling me like, there's, there's, there's stuff going on there. Like mm-hmm. seeing my body, you know, doing some testing, doing whatever he's like, something's going on there. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then, you know, a few months later, it all just, just came out and I'm like, I need a new therapist. Like I need, I need to work on this. So I needed a therapist that could see me more often than like a once or 
once a month check-in, which I was just doing for, for maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed, I realized that, you know, my eating wasn't, wasn't great. Um, because of all this distress, my eating was, was pretty disordered. Um, and I got a registered dietitian to help me. Um, you know, thankfully I didn't realize how malnourished I was, but like, I never mentioned it to doctors. And I mean, you probably have approached this, but, or you might, but something in regards to, you know, the, the, the weight bias, you know, you have a back problem or if you're fatigued or you're whatever, it's probably something else. It's not that you're malnourished. It has nothing to do with your diet. I was never asked if I was eating enough or like what my diet consisted of. And it was only when I reached, you know, my dietitian that we realized how malnourished I was, um, and how it could be contributing. They're like, oh, you have Lyme. Okay, fine. So that's why you're fatigued. That's why you can't sleep. That's why you this. And that's why you that. But it was it was a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, and at the moment, um, even though I do believe that my, my pain, um, a lot of my pain is brought on by emotion, I do know that a lot of my pain can be healed if I strengthen the muscles um, around them. So I, um, I go to a physical therapist mm-hmm. uh, for my hands, for my hip, for you know, my neck and shoulders, I have exercises I have to do every day. Um, I'm very into helping myself. Um, not because it's good for me, mm-hmm. but because I need to for my family. It's, it's developed more into, I need to take care of myself, but it only started because there were other people that I needed to be available for. Um, and it's not perfect. Um, I do have my setbacks. Like I said, I was, I was sick earlier this week. Um, and I, couldn't do as much as I, as I would have wanted to, or be as available, but I always try to make time to have like conscious, mindful one-on-one time with my kids for however long it is a day. Um, and they're still little and I want to, I want to take care of, mm-hmm. of these issues before they really process their memories and like seal them in their brains. <laughs> like I'd rather I deal with this now than and ignore it and have to deal with it when they're a teenager. Like I, my, my goal is hopefully to be healed enough that I can, I can be there for them as much as I can. I I'm doing that now, but unfortunately it's limited due right. to my mental health struggles and my physical struggles. There are days where I just can't, or like, I'm, I'm not the mother that gets up at, you know, six 30 in the morning to pack lunches and whatever. My husband usually takes care of that. And yet my kids know they come into my room every morning my son gives me a bottle of water. He's, he's turning two. He gives me a bottle of water. He gives me my glasses. He gives me my phone. He comes, give me a kiss. Like that's his, that's his daily ritual. My daughter comes in, shows me her outfit, gives me a kiss, tells me have a good day. And then, you know, that's, that's just the, the system now, but the goal is, is to show them that I love them and that, and that they are being taken care of. Um, so there, there are hacks we do, you know, Bar Hashem, I have a very helpful partner. Um, and like I said, I'm trying to do everything possible to, to heal. And sometimes that's exhausting. Um, but that also means that there are times where I really just need to stop. Like we pushed this interview off because I, I was like, I I cannot get dressed today. If you would like to see me in a hoodie (laughs) and a pajamas, then fine. You know, no makeup looking like fine. No problem. I'll do it. And you're like, we can push it off, which I appreciate. And I, I appreciate that most of the people that I that I work with or collaborate with have developed um, some sort of empathy due to their own personal experience or due to the myriad of people that are, that are providing resources um, about 
physical, mental, emotional. It turns out this was very physical. Like I had like a bug, but mm-hmm. still. Um, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There, I'm, I, I choose to connect with the people that, that try to be empathetic. I don't need them to understand, but I have a friend who's a therapist. Most of my friends are in the mental health field. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a phenomenon that, that happens. So one of my friends here, um, I was going through... Uh, a rough period. I'm not sure whether it was physical or emotional or both. My memory is pretty cloudy due to uh, the Lyme. But her line, she she drops off a bag of goodies for me with a little note um, that said, like, hi, I'm thinking of you. Um, Please let me know how I can be here for you. She's not guessing. She's not attempting to fix things. She's not trying to know exactly what to do. She's saying, you tell me, like, I want to help you. Just tell me how, which I found to be really reassuring. And like, I messaged her, I'm like, hey, is there any chance you can make dinner for us this week? Sure. No problem. You know, like I've learned to accept help. I love Mm -hmm. going shopping at Trader Joe's because I can easily ask them to help me carry my bags to the car. And they're so happy to do it. Just, just being able to accept help, Mm -hmm. you know, find, find the, the shortcuts, uh, make things a little easier uh, during this journey so that I don't add uh, being disappointed or hard on myself into the mix because who knows how that's going to affect me. Right. And it really is a process. I mean, I think that's something that can be hard for people to understand that there's no magic cure, right? I mean, I think sometimes people, when they have a problem, they're looking for the magic answer. Yes. And that for these kind of problems, for, for pretty much nothing in life, but especially for these kind of complex brain body kind of problems, um, it's a work in progress. Yes. Right. And it's multi-pronged. It's not like you're going to get one pill or one test that tells you the answer. Right. Right. So I think these are really, really valuable tips. And unless you have something to add. Anything yes. to add. One small thing. Okay. Um, one of the things that helped me change is mm-hmm. a friend of mine, Esther Levy. She uh, studied yoga and meditation under, um, you know, the real deal, gone to Thailand, gone to all these places, like really took it to the like nth degree and Mm -hmm. is an observant um, Jewish woman and made it, you know, Alpi Hatora with guidance. And Mm -hmm. she has, you know, free meditation and restorative yoga sessions that I started attending religiously. And one of the things that she has taught me is just to slow down and like be content with where you are. Mm. Don't rush to whatever. Like, so when I have a setback now, I don't make myself physically feel worse because of my apprehension and anxiety and disappointment in myself for the setback. While I was sick, I was like, okay, like this week, okay, I'm going to have to reschedule. And I'm going to turn on the tablet and I'm going to binge watch Netflix and drink tea. And that is okay. I have a bunch of projects that need to happen, but leave them there. I'm okay with where I'm at. I don't need to rush anywhere. Um, And that type of acceptance of where I currently am and not worrying about what's to come or Mm -hmm. what the potential disappointment is or these, these deadlines that I'm placing on myself. Nobody, nobody else is. Um, being kinder and gentler to myself has made my flare-ups that much shorter and that much more bearable, Um, which I think has been very helpful. So if someone is struggling with something chronic, um, 
whether it's physical, mental, both, you know, chicken or the egg, it doesn't matter. I spoke to mm-hmm. my therapist about it. I'm like, can I cause this? He's like, who knows? Right. Who knows? Like, does it matter? No. no. You just have to deal with it. Like, it doesn't matter if the chicken or the egg. You have the chicken and you have the egg. Just deal with it. Right, right. Um, and just being okay with it and letting it be um, has definitely helped. And I highly encourage those um, struggling to to figure that out and, and, and try to find that for themselves, that 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 acceptance. Because it right. will help physically. Right, right. That is such amazing, amazing advice. And I thank you so much for doing this with me. I really, really appreciate it. I hope that people, I hope physicians listen and other healthcare professionals, and I hope that other people with chronic illnesses listen. I mean, I think it's helpful for both groups. And I, I really thank you for doing this with me. Thank you for having me. This was great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A dot org, or email us at health at joma.org.